0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Gateway, brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business, where your future is without boundaries and our approach is too. I am joined, as always, with my incredible co-host, Dr. Biagio Pellese. Hello, Biagio! Ciao tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. For this episode, getting up with higher ed. The Gateway is ecstatic to have a friend of the podcast, Kirk, here to discuss his incredible career in higher education. Kirk brings over 20 years of recruitment, sales, and operations experience to his role as Director of Solutions Architecture at Collegius Education, a company enabling Envision in Higher Ed as thought leaders, and tactical pros. During his 12-plus years at Wiley Education Services, formerly Dell Tech, and Avenue Learning, he led cross-functional teams to facilitate the successful launch of multiple new college and university partners, in addition to leading existing partners in the expansion of program offerings to accelerate revenue. Prior to that, Kirk held admissions leadership roles at DeVry University online. Kirk leverages his recruitment experience and deep understanding of the student life cycle to enable partner universities to implement process enhancements that drive student engagement. He earned his BS from John Carroll University in University Heights, Ohio, where he played collegiate football and met his wife, Amy. Kirk and Amy live in Naperville, Illinois with their dog Bertie. and during his free time, he is an avid college and pro football fan, takes an endless pursuit to create the perfect chicken wing very seriously, and spends countless hours trying to improve his golf game. Kirk, welcome to The Gateway. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, we're we're excited because I think you're you're coming to the gateway and this conversation about technology from a little bit of a of a broader perspective. So, within all of these conversations, I like to start at the beginning. And, and how did you get to where you are today?
1: <laughs> um, well, uh, I was born, I grew up, um, so. <laughs> I'll give you kind of the highlight reel. So I went to school at uh, John Carroll University mm-hmm. in Cleveland, Ohio, which is where um, I met my wife, who is from the Chicagoland area. I'm originally from Western New York. Um, when I graduated, I wanted to be uh, either a strength and conditioning coach or work in uh, gyms, and that's what my my degree is in exercise physiology. So gotcha. Okay. Anyway, uh, moved out to Chicago. Um, and started off working in gyms and that for a variety of reasons I got out of that and I got my first job as an IT recruiter I call it my first real job because I had to actually wear you know like non-gym clothes (laughs) could not wear shorts to work so I was an IT recruiter and then uh, you know that was a blast had a great time Um, and then 9-11 hit and as we know the economy did not do well at that point and so I found, my, found myself looking for employment. And one of my former co-workers from that recruiting firm worked at a college in admissions. And he said, hey, you would be, you know, it's the transferable skills. And, you know, so I kind of interviewed there and got the job. And you know, honestly, in my mind, I was looking at it as, I'm just going to ride this out until the economy turns around. Right, right. So that was in 2002. So 21 years later <laughs> I, uh, and, and I always say like I, I found I found a home I fell into higher ed you know I just mm-hmm. kind of fell into it and I, again I, I was looking at it as a stopgap um, and I've had a great time doing it ever since. so I, I started off as an admissions person, worked my way up to director of admissions and then I joined a company called Tac, which was one of the first online program managers uh Same. organizations that support schools in bringing their their uh bringing their programs online and i went there as a director of admissions as well so kind of a lateral move but a new mm-hmm. new approach to it and you know grew a career there that was a lot of fun became a partnership director where i managed the relationships between us and the schools um had a blast that's where i met you. <laughs> um and then you know I'm I'm I was there till 2020, so from 2009 to basically 2020, and I had an opportunity come my way to work with an organization that did the same thing but in the international space. I see. Um, learned a ton doing that, um, and then and a new opportunity come. It was it, I wasn't there for a long time, but it was a good time if you know what I mean. Yes, sir. But then um, my, the, the organization that I currently work at called Collegious Education. Which has a lot of people from the Tac days. Um, okay. We reconnected, and they said, "Hey, you know what? We need someone that your skill set kind of fits." So I came over here in a new a, a role that's new to me, and it's it's kind of supporting the business development team. Um, so it plays off the skills that I developed on client relationship management and. and what I do is I work with schools and we do, we do what's called assessments. Um, so we'll, we would come into Northern, for example, um, and take a look at your internal marketing, recruiting, student support. Uh, we also do, I'm on the enrollment side, the enrollment and marketing side. We also do it managed services. I am, as you know, I am not an it person myself. <laughs> um, so I stay on, I dance with who brung me. Um <laughs> But we we do assessments of schools and say, okay, here's what you're doing well. Here's where you have gaps to achieve whatever your goals are. And then, you know, if we have services that will help augment those gaps, then we work with those partners and then we become partners with them to do it. Um, But it's a very, it's fully transparent. Like, and, you know, again, I had a great career in the OPM space, loved it. Um, OPM's do their thing and they kind of own every own the work on behalf of the school, Mm -hmm. ours is very much teaching our school the partners that we work with to fish. I see. If you will, so we will have recruiters help recruit your students on your behalf, but we share everything, so (laughs) you can also build up those internal capabilities if you if you, if that's the path you want to go. So sometimes we'll go into a school, work with them for 5 years and they're like, "Okay, we can do recruiting on our own, but can you do this?" Um and kind of the 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 connection of it all for us is is our data enablement service that we have. I see. Um that collects the data, connects it together so our schools can make good decisions and then we'd help them activate it. So that way, that when they look at information, they can make data-driven decisions. But again, it's all the school's data. Like, we don't keep it. Right.
0: <laughs> is that then setting yourself up? Like, are you going to make yourselves go extinct if you do a good job at some point? You know, every one of your partners is like, we got this thing so much. Or it, it seems a little counterintuitive within that
1: it's it 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 may seem that way but i don't i I honestly don't think we'll ever go extinct um <laughs> candidly right. um there's some been some regulatory changes coming that are in the works on the revenue share model that opm's use that's you know nothing is final but there's some regulatory mm-hmm. stuff there um and we're on we do things on a fee-for-service model i
0: see
1: so it's <clears throat> If you 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 pay for the services upfront, we don't share intuition in any way, shape, or form. Nice. And what we found with a lot of our schools, they're like, okay, so we've we've got a contract to do X, Y, and Z, and maybe they reach that point where they they feel like they've built the capability internally. They redirect that investment to one of our other services where I they see. see that they can use help. Some that happens a lot of times they're you. all partners where they, you know, we've done a great job and we've shared the information and, you know, they're like, okay, we can go. And that's great. That makes us very happy. But there's, there are a lot of schools uh, across the country that that need help in that in, in a lot of the way things that we do. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just meeting with them and helping understand, trying to understand what they, where they need help and then plugging things in.
0: I see. So you know, it, the, the idea when when Biagio and I started this was to kind of talk about how technology is impacting everything, and, and we hear about that all, all the time. We we know that we see that all the way. I, I, from my experience, higher ed has been this own little microcosm of of a glimpse at how impactful technology is to an industry. Um, I, just just from your experience. I'm assuming when you started in admissions, you were you were doing the the pounding the pavement, going, you know, going to college fairs, face to face, doing all of that stuff. Now you're still in enrollment. You're still in admissions at, at some point. But I, I mean, it's got to be completely different. Is that is that accurate or is it is it still some of those things are still the same? I, I well, guess so
1: so my, my admissions role was with an online college at the time. So I see. OK, <clears> so <throat>
0: even back then it was still technology driven.
1: It was, it was still technology driven. And so if I think about going, this is putting on the Wayback Machine, making me feel old Russ.
0: Um, you
1: know, it, it was phone driven, phone and email. Those were your only two modalities that you could reach out to a student that had expressed interest in our programs that we had. OK. Um, you know, we had a CRM. Got it. it very slow and clunky. <laughs> But now we work in Salesforce and like if I, I've never thought of it this way Is like if I as I think back it's like I would hit a button and it would take literally 30 seconds to generate a list of students to call. now we do it and it pops up in a second right because things are just so much faster. Um, but yeah, so the only communication modalities we had at the time were phone and email although they're still there but now a lot of at least organizations like us, and even actual colleges are implementing text to reach out <laughs> to students. And because everybody lives and dies by their phone for the most part. Um, for better or for worse, the reality is those phones are attached to us 24-7. Um, and that and I I remember I remember this very distinctly when I was at Dell Tech when we first rolled out texting. It was 2010, 2011. I don't remember mm-hmm. exactly but I'd been in the game long enough where I was like, oh, nobody's gonna wanna respond by text. I don't think we should spend the money. I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I was very wrong. What we found was students absolutely love to interact by text or quick questions, et cetera, et cetera. So texting has become like almost in my mind, mandatory for admissions outreach. To be able to do that, and now you've got things that you know the the, the AI chatbots that you can plug in on your website. So, you know when well another story. We we rolled out chat technology, um, and I was a big fan of that because mm-hmm. students we we would put up like a little website um, on behalf of the schools we were representing, like a little microsite. And we rolled out chat and then students would start asking questions and we could have a conversation with them and just address their questions and meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Now you don't have to man those with humans for the the basic questions.
0: right? Yeah. So,
1: and then if you think about it just from a classroom standpoint, like the technology that's happening, that's been integrated into your LMS, you know, Blackboard, Canvas, whatever, whatever school is using when, uh, the online classes I took, I mean, they were good. They were really good, but now I go in and I look at classes for the partners that we have, and there's just so much more interaction. It's so much more robust. It's, it's, it's like the student experience is exponentially better than it was
0: 20 years ago. Yeah. Is that, so within higher ed and when a student decides to come and pursue education when someone decides to work in it, there's always that underlying motivation of personal growth, uh, I, I, for lack of a better term, like a non-for-profit type mentality, like I, I'm doing good, whether I'm mm-hmm. I'm improving myself, I'm doing good for my family, whether I'm getting the degree or I'm working and I'm helping people do that stuff, there's, there's always a little bit of that um, softer skill. Skill mentality you know something broader than just me i i guess i could say working for a for-profit you know kind kind of mentality there there's something broader um is technology in your perspective getting away from that by by only having um online interactions and and I I feel like for everyone listening I I mean at NIU and our our program we have multiple online programs we work very hard to connect that like I want want to put that out there it's not anything negative but are we are we missing those human growth opportunities because it's through teams or it's through an LMS it's something in blackboard instead of being in a classroom where you have to interact and, and work with someone and sit next to someone you don't know or Or are we bridging those gaps? And and is it still just as beneficial?
1: I think it's still absolutely still as beneficial because because of those evolutions of the learning experience. I see. Um, And I mean, I remember when I first started, again, going back in the Wayback Machine, when I first started, there was this stigma about online education. You can't teach. You can't learn in an online environment. That's gone away. Over right. the, it was slow to go away from traditional schools that to move to an online environment, but people now understand that online education is not going away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's a large population of students that want to do that, especially at the graduate level or, or that uh, adult degree completer student that, you know, yes. maybe they got their associate's degree, but never finished the bachelor's. Now they're married kids they don't have the flexibility to go to a class three nights a week or you yeah. know traditional day school yeah so you 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 have to meet the students where they are both in terms of the learning experience but also in terms of the the recruiting and enrollment experience mm-hmm. and and that's where you know these these new technologies have actually come in very handy because it makes it easier for the student to engage when and where they want to there's always still going to be a human element. Like, I, somebody, this may prove me wrong in 10 years as uh, Chat GPT takes over and becomes something. <laughs> um, <laughs> little Skynet reference. Um, right, right. <laughs> but, you know, it's at some point, I, I, I don't ever see the human element coming out of it because you can answer things through text and email, but you, there's still a connection that needs to be made with the human being and people still want that but they it's not like it was when i first started where you had to have an hour long conversation with a student to understand their goals and motivations you can you can still have that engagement with a student and and help them through the 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 application process but then you still need to be there voice to voice when
0: they yeah. need you does
1: yeah. that make sense
0: it it does it does and i i think that's that's kind of interesting too, because at the end of the day, within higher education, we, we do have this mentality. We get to do good. We get to help people improve their lives. Mm-hmm. That's all part of that stuff. But underneath that layer, there's always been a, a bit of privilege associated with it, that you have to have the flexibility to go five days a week and to travel and to not work a full-time job to be able to go and, and take your stats class that you know you might not have. So I, I think as a society, especially in our country, we've we definitely put a divide between those that if you didn't do it when you were 18 and 19, now it's really difficult to go back and do that stuff. And, and personally, what, one of the reasons why I like that is we are able to go to those people that got an associate's degree or have some college that, that you can bridge that gap. And I, I I think that's where we're seeing a lot of improvement within higher ed personally.
1: Yes, I would agree. I would agree with that statement. And, you know, like I said, when I got into higher ed, there was a stopgap at the time, but then I kind of fell in love with it because I was helping people, you know, and I, I've got my bachelor's degree um every place I've worked has has been an organization that basically requires at least a bachelor's to do it and I know how many doors it opened for me in my life so it's always that's and I definitely have that warm and fuzzy piece I mean you know (laughs) I'm not that warm and fuzzy but it's there it's there it's (laughs) It's still it's there I just don't talk about it very much but I know (laughs) that what I do you know, whether it's when I was recruiting students for the school I worked at, or helping recruit students for the schools that I've supported for the 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 last uh, thirteen years of my career, um, it's I know that I'm helping people do better with their lives, and that that it gets me up every morning.
0: Yeah, so I, I want that's a perfect segue and kind of pivot to to another. I think larger conversation happening specifically within our country. Cause I mean, higher education takes many different forms internationally, but at least within the United States, there are some broader conversations about the, the value of higher education and, and pursuing that stuff there. Uh, just from your perspective, are, are you seeing that shift? Is, is that something that uh, we, you could see maybe again, just your opinion, in 20 years that a bachelor's degree isn't something that is required and, and we, we're we shifting more to an experience-based economy, or is it gonna be something that, you know what, that as much as maybe we would like to shift away from that, it, it's still something that's gonna be essential? I think it depends. I, and I, I think,
1: I, I would say the landing spot is probably gonna be somewhere in the middle. I that makes see, sense. I personally don't, <clears throat> I don't see the bachelor's degree ever going away. Okay. Um, and I think that's good because I think it's very important. Um, you know I went to a, a Jesuit liberal arts school and it gave I know, I know it gave me a very well-rounded conversation uh, education and I remember sitting through philosophy classes saying why but I because I had to, but now I know looking at things in hindsight, those classes taught me how to think very critically and look at things from different angles. You don't know it when you're sitting there, the 20 year old idiot. <laughs> right right yeah you know, i was thinking about you know oh i gotta play football on saturday and you know, i gotta go to practice today and then what are we going to do after the game whether we win or lose <laughs> but so i i i I believe the bachelor's degree is going to be there but i do think more of the experiential part you know you, you think about you know the uh, if, for lack of a better term the trades you know there right. there's there is a certain area there are some people that frown upon those. I'm doing air quotes. I know nobody can see me. Um, (laughs) Those are, those are high. Those can be high paying jobs and you don't need a bachelor's degree for those. You need to learn the skills and you need to build a career. So the the higher, a bachelor's degree is not meant for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at at the postgraduate level, you know, as as you think about once people have a bachelor's degree, I think there's also a lot of opportunity for schools to do more micro credentialing, you know, smaller, Uh smaller pieces, stackables, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. to to be able to give people. You don't have to do a full four years. You know, you don't. Maybe you don't need a master's degree. Maybe you could just get a certificate in a specific skill set to help upskill your career to be better.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that could help a lot of people, and and maybe the commitment and both financially, time, all of that stuff could be yeah. a, a little bit um, more approachable for people. One, um, Biagio is is sending me a, a quick question within in this one, and I like it. Is there something that you're maybe looking forward to within? AI within things like ChatGPT or is it all just doom and gloom and fear of, of what it's, what it's going to be? <laughs> um,
1: I don't think it's, it's doom and gloom in my mind. I think it's just, it's evolution and we've all got to change. I mean, I'm no, I'm, 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 I've got a gray beard and, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I've never feared the technology itself. Um, I think we've got a lot to learn about it. Um, I remember reading like when ChatGPT launched last, what was like October, November of last year, and Mm -hmm. everybody downloaded it. Everybody started using it, and then we got into the spring, and usage and downloads went down. Yep. Um, You know, I fiddled around with Google's Bard thing, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, their Bard conversation tool. It's kind of cool, but I like I like to do my own original writing when I'm working doing stuff for schools. I know it takes longer, but that's how I go. Right. Um, and I, it'll be very interesting to see how AI really evolves over the next couple of years. It's 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 very much outside of my mental wheelhouse of how all that stuff works. I would definitely be a user, but not a developer of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Skynet jokes aside. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. So then shifting a, a, a little bit away from maybe some of those technologies and things like that, and, and more as someone who is a little bit further in their career, knowing that you're working with students, you're working with probably a large range of, of ages, but people that that are shifting into a new career that are, are at least trying to advance something and kind of break into something different. Um, is there... Is there a bit of advice you would really like to pass on that someone would have said, hey, this is what you need to, or this is what I wish I would have been prepared for that now looking back that that was the harder thing for me to learn.
1: I do wish I, pro- I would have myself personally is mm-hmm. I wish I would have maybe not gone down an IT computer path. Mm hmm. But learned more of those types of skills versus being as self-taught as I am. Um, yeah, you know, I'm not. I've never been one who's hesitant to ask questions. So when I see when I've seen someone using something and they're better than me at it, like you just did a real cool shortcut. <laughs> <laughs> right. Show me that. Um, you know, Excel w- was the bane of my existence for many many years. And you know, our our one of our a friend of mine. That I worked with is is in finance, and I watch him just hammer the keyboard. I'm like, can you show me that? And he showed it to me, and it didn't stick. So I just now I just go with brute force when it comes to Excel, but it works for me. Um, but I would say, you know, you got to learn. If, if if I'm talking to like you know a college student from a technology standpoint, I mean, obviously you got to learn. You got to know your offices, you know, your office applications. Those mm-hmm. things they're they're must haves. Walking in the door. Mm-hmm. You know, know know how to be at least uh an average user of excel to, uh, and it's it's not just for finance makers i mean i work in spreadsheets all the time <laughs> right right you know, powerpoint learn shortcuts in powerpoint because if you're going to be doing presentations know how to do it so you don't bang your head off your keyboard trying to figure out how to format something or ask or ask for that help but now maybe chat gpt can tell you how to do it and uh then then that'll speed things
0: up a little bit Along that same line, is there a, if you had to identify a specific skill you would like to see in someone that maybe you're hiring that you would be managing or even up to a a colleague, you know, someone at your same level or even a boss? Is there one skill regardless of the level? of where you're working with that that you've noticed is, is an asset or something that you thrive under or that you really look for in someone? It, I, I do.
1: And it's, it's not a technology skill. Um, it's, it is, a, it's honestly, it's a soft skill and it's the ability to listen and hear. Like, again, this is where I think technology has been a bit of a negative especially if you're thinking about somebody coming out as a college grad, et cetera. You, you've got phones, we've got social media, et cetera. So there's a, there's a lot less person, human to human interaction in the world right now. But once you get into the workforce, you maybe, maybe you're working remote all the time, but you're gonna have Zoom calls or Teams calls. And you've gotta be able to really listen and hear what someone is saying. So that way you can have that constructive dialogue Around what is the issue we're trying to solve for the customer internally, whatever it may be, and really be able to listen and have that conversation because you're going to have differing perspectives. I'm going to bring a different point of view than you will to a conversation. And, but if I am, if you're, if we're both willing to listen to what the other person is saying, then we can say, okay, you you had a really good idea. How does that marry to my idea that I think I at least think is really good? And then we can come up with something
0: great. Rick, I think that is absolutely impactful. And I, I've asked many people like one of those skills. And almost every time, this is a tech kind of oriented podcast, but almost every time it, it's a soft skill. It's something that is like, hey, this is still the human thing that that comes across in there. So mm-hmm. you're you're following a, a well-beaten path of, of other great <laughs> thinkers uh, in technology. <laughs> um <laughs> uh, I, I i've found this conversation to be really really enjoyable and in kirk i i'm i'm just blown away with all of the different ways that technology comes across is there something that you would like you know again someone coming out starting their career and is maybe enjoying higher ed, like they like their college experience. Is there something that you're like, hey, this is what you should do, or this is something you should consider? Because I I do think at least higher ed, most people think, well, I need to be a professor, I need to be a teacher, and that's it. And I I don't even think you're on campuses that much, like most of it's virtual, I know you go and visit, but like, you're not sitting there, oh, I work in the residence halls every day, you know, like, it's a, it's a different perspective. So if you could just give a snapshot of kind of like what that is to maybe open up some ideas for other people looking into a different industry than they've even considered.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think working in, in higher ed is a ton of fun. I mean, you you you, you get so many different perspectives and personalities. And, you know, you work with so many different people, you know, they're, the higher. Higher. You, you hit the nail on the head. Higher ed is not just being a professor or a teacher. There's hundreds, thousands of organizations, of businesses that support the universities that are out there. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got organizations like mine that bring certain types of services to fill gaps that these schools have. Um, there's software providers, the people that actually provide the tools. You know, what's are you guys colleague or banner? I forget.
0: Banner, I think. Yeah, yeah. we're banner. So yeah. Uh-huh. You've got
1: the student information system that everything yeah. is built upon within these universities. Those organizations the the organ the, the company, banner, needs people. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you've got Blackboard as your LMS. Blackboard needs people to do technology. They need people to do marketing, sales, accounting you know, there's so many opportunities in ed tech and education services that didn't exist when I graduated um, way back when, um, but have evolved as this, as online learning has evolved. And if you just really, really look at how much technology universities use for all the different business functions, those are opportunities that are out there. And there's a endless opportunities, regardless of what you, you know, if you're an accounting major and, but you like higher ed, look at, look at some ed tech companies. Um, if you're a marketing person, etc. data analytics is huge. Right. At every, at, at, at a lot of companies, there's a lot of, com- we do a lot of data enablement for our partners where we, you know, collect, help them collect, connect and activate their data. Um, and it's a, it's a skill set that is highly, highly in demand. So, it doesn't just ha- you don't have to work at Google after you get your uh, MSDA from Northern Illinois.
0: <laughs> and on that note, uh, thank you all so much. We're going to leave.
1: <laughs> you can work at Google, but there, there's a lot there's a lot of other opportunities. And I think higher ed would be a bit would, is, a, is one that just like you said, people just don't think about it that way.
0: Well, Kirk, truly, I, I'm very grateful for for your time and for you sharing your perspective on that one. I, I think um, someone might might start looking at, at some of the different institutions and and different organizations uh, like like your own as as some opportunities out there. So, if nothing else, I'm very grateful for that, and hopefully, other people are are going to start exploring some of those. And when you uh, see some NIU grad resumes come across, to, uh, remember this conversation because they're good <laughs> and they know what they're doing. So again, you thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed this. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found and if you are so inclined please feel free to give us those five star ratings which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway thank you all for listening and remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today